0: Hello and welcome to the Cross Point Church Podcast. We are here to reveal God in ways that help everyday people like you. Whether you're a Christian or not, we believe God is not far from any one of us and that he wants to be found. You don't have to look a certain way or have it together to become one of us. We don't have it all together either, but we do have hope in the one who does. Jesus loved everyone, no matter who they were or what they had done, and we want to be just like that. If you'd like to connect with us, stay after the message, and I'll tell you how. Thank you, worship team. It's great to be with all of you today. My name is Dave, and I'm one of your pastors here at Cross Point Church. And if you are a guest with us today, we want you to feel welcome. If this is your first time or second time, and you're just getting to know us, we would love to get to know you better as well, so... Uh, if you would like to, you could take just a minute and uh, scan that QR code on the seat in front of you, and it will allow us to follow up with you. It should take you just about 30 seconds to fill out that form, uh, just so that we can know that you were here and, and know your name and uh, just follow up with you. We love meeting new people, so thanks for being here today. Uh, we've been in a series in the book of Exodus called In His Presence. That's what the entire book of Exodus is about being in the presence of God. And today, we are going to talk about the tabernacle and how to get closer to God. Before we do, I I want you to think about a, a time in your life when you were separated from someone that you couldn't wait to get near again. It could have been a best friend or a mom or a dad or uh, someone else in your life who you love. I, I think about my wife and when we first started dating and what, what that was like. I even think back to when I was a kid and knowing that um, that the coming weekend I was going to have a sleepover at maybe my best friend's house and counting the days until I got to go over to their house or they were going to come to my house and do a sleepover. That was always really exciting. And I remember, um, you know, I can remember back when uh, Vicky and I were dating and how excited I was to be with her every time we were together. It was just so exciting. And we still have that excitement, right, honey? Like, we can't wait to... <laughs> you know what she's thinking right now? She's thinking, well, then why did you wait to call me three weeks after our first date? I know that that's what she's thinking. I was that guy. And she has put up with a lot. <laughs> but it's true. When you are dating someone and you're... You falling in love with them, and you just can't wait to be with them again. And, you, you know, you find yourself counting the days, and you're thinking about, man, you know, how great it's going to be when you're back together again. And then, you know, then when you get married, it's just amazing because... Let, let, me, let me attach a caveat to that. For people who waited to live together until they got married... Which is what you're supposed to do, by the way. Probably don't say that enough. When you get married, something amazing happens. You change locations and you get to live together. Because when you're dating, the date ends and you got to go back home. But when you're married, you don't have to go back home. You're together and that is home. That's what's so awesome about marriage. That's what's so awesome about marriage. And that's probably why people who live together wait so long to get married because they've already, got, you know, they've already crossed that threshold. But the point is, and if you're single, if you're single, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to be. You don't have to be in a marriage or in a dating relationship to be complete or to experience this kind of joyful intimacy in a relationship. You, we all know what it's like to. Have this anticipation and excitement about being back together with that person we love, that person we long to be with. There's a passion, there's an excitement. We just can't wait to be together again. God, here's where I'm going with this God wants you to be closer to Him. God wants us to have that kind of excitement about our relationship with Him. God wants us to obsess over our relationship with Him. God wants us to have excitement about being with Him and about being in His presence. Our relationship with God should, should be exhilarating and exciting. We should have goosebumps sometimes about being in the presence of God. That's what it's supposed to be like. God does not want there to be distance between us and him. So are are you satisfied with distance between you and God? Or are you seeking God with all your heart? The message of God's word is, is pretty simple. If your greatest desire is not to be with God, then you're living for the wrong things. That's what every book of the Bible is about. Listen to this, uh, the beginning of Psalm 84. This is what the psalmist wrote. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. That's how we're supposed to feel about being with God. But we don't always feel that way, do we? How can we change that? Well, that's what today's about. We're going to talk about getting that passion back. And, and why we should want to be with God. And today, uh, we, we're we finally arriving at the end of the book of Exodus. We're going to talk uh, mostly about what happens in Exodus chapter 40. And uh, the end of the book of Exodus is about one thing, the tabernacle. That's what the, uh, the last like 15 chapters of the book of Exodus are mainly about. And uh, if you didn't read, you know, I challenged you in, the, in our weekly email on Friday to, to read chapter, chapters 25 to 40, and I wonder how many of you took me up on that. Not an easy read, is it? Um, because those last like 15 chapters of the book of Exodus are about the tabernacle, what it is, how to build it. What goes inside of it, how to build that, what materials to use, who God chose to build it, and all of those instructions, Uh, who can go in it, when they can go in it, what they're supposed to wear, what they're not supposed to wear, what to do before they go in. I mean, it's all kinds of extremely detailed instructions about this portable worship tent. That's what the tabernacle was. It was a portable worship tent surrounded by a big courtyard with a fence. Doesn't that sound exciting? Uh, All those details and instructions and all those kinds of things. And this portable worship center that had to be portable, they couldn't build a temple. They couldn't build anything out of stone because they're on the move. Israel is moving from Mount Sinai where they received God's law to the promised land. And so they need this thing to be portable. They need something that they can set up in a day so that they can experience the presence of God so that they can worship as a community. Now, we might be tempted to skip over these chapters because let's be honest, who likes looking at blueprints for inspiration? That's really what those chapters are. I have a drawer in our garage that's full of instruction manuals. Guess what I never do? I never open that drawer unless I have to. And if I have to open that drawer, it's not a good day. So maybe you think, you come across chapters in the Bible like this with all these instructions and you're, like, you're thinking to yourself, what is up with all these rituals? These are like empty religious rituals, right? All these instructions, these don't ma- matter anymore. These, are not, these have nothing to offer me for my life today. I used to believe that. I don't anymore. Some of you are like, this is why I don't read the Old Testament. It's because of sections like this. I just skip over all this stuff to get to the good stuff. We're not skipping over this, okay? There is a reason that one-third of the entire book of Exodus is about the tabernacle. This is about worship. This is about God getting back what belongs to him. This is about God getting closer to the people he loves. This is about us. It's about us being home with God. That's what the tabernacle represents, And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, we are going to spend um, most of our time in Exodus chapter 40, just the last chapter of Exodus. But you need to know, if you didn't know this already, that Exodus chapter 40 comes on the heels of 13 very tedious chapters and instructions about everything that's mentioned. In, so Genesis, or Exodus 40 is just a summary of the things that are going to go into the tabernacle and what to do with those, okay? So we're going to read the first 10 verses of Exodus chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle on the first day of the new year. Place the Ark of the Covenant inside and install the inner curtain to enclose the Ark within the most holy place. Then bring in the table and arrange the utensils on it, and bring in the lampstand and set up the lamps. Place the gold incense altar in front of the Ark of the Covenant, then hang the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle, place the altar of burnt offering in the front of the tabernacle entrance. Set the wash basin between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Then set up the courtyard around the outside of the tent and hang the curtain for the courtyard entrance. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all its furnishings to consecrate them and make them holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and its utensils to consecrate them. Then the altar will become absolutely holy. Next anoint the wash basin and its stand to consecrate them. This is the word of God and we're going to pause for just one minute and ask God to help us see what this passage is all about. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us today as your people. As your chosen people, your called out ones, God, we are privileged to be here today. We ask that you would help us to love each other well and that you would open our hearts to understand your word. God, that you would speak to us, reveal yourself to us. God, make us more like you. We give you this, we give you this, our worship today, we give you our time and our attention right now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So Moses said, uh, put up this tent, put up the tabernacle on the first day of the new year. What that means is that just a year earlier, they left Egypt. It was the Passover, the first Passover, and they were supposed to reorient their calendar to the Passover. That was going to be the start of the new year now, and they're going to remember the Passover by putting up the tabernacle. They're going to remember what God did to deliver them out of bondage in Egypt, to you know, parting the Red Sea, all of that. Everything God did to redeem them, to show them that he is stronger than Pharaoh, stronger than Egypt, stronger than the greatest superpower in the world, God is the one true God, and he showed them that through all the wonderful things that he did, and they're supposed to set up this tabernacle to remember that on the first day of the new year, every year that they're in the desert, every year that they're in the wilderness, okay? And it's important to understand something about the tabernacle. This is no ordinary tent. This, the tabernacle is made to represent heaven on earth. That's what it's supposed to represent. Eden was the original heaven on earth. We read about that back way back in Genesis chapter one, the garden of Eden. Eden had a tree in the center of it, the tree of life, and around that was a beautiful garden with rivers and trees and fruit. And it's believed that Eden was on the top of a mountain and uh, that it was a place where God and people could be together. It was a place where humans could be naked and unashamed. It was a place where humans could fellowship with God and walk with God and talk with God. This is, of course, all before the deceiver came in, before people began questioning God, before Adam and Eve decided that they didn't need God to be happy. And once that happened, everything changed. They could no longer be in God's presence. Sin entered the world. They chose to be They chose to be like God instead of to be with God. Is basically what happened. And God said, you can't be here anymore. And he banished them from the garden. Put up the next slide real quick. This is just an artist's depiction of what that might have been like. God put a cherubim in front uh, to the east of the garden, and they were expelled from the Garden of Eden into the darkness and harshness of the real world a world where sin ruled, a world where God's presence was not as easy to experience. But Eden was God's original sanctuary. And the tabernacle is God's new sanctuary. It's God's new mountain. It's basically a portable Mount Sinai because not long before this, the Israelites were at Mount Sinai where they experienced God's presence in, in, in some way. And God's fire descended and, and the cloud descended on the mountain and it shook and the people were terrified. Remember, they couldn't touch it. They couldn't go near it. The priests could go you know, up the mountain to a certain point, but only Moses could go to the top. And the tabernacle is sort of molded, shaped after that. So, Here's where the instructions come in. And, and when you are, Eden is supposed to be a place where, where it's, it's like a return to Eden. This is where God and people can meet again. It's almost like a, a, a return to Mount Sinai where God and people can meet again, where we can hear God's voice and be near him. And if you are going to construct a beautiful place that's meant to display God's character and radiance, the details matter. And they mattered to God. And that's why we have nearly 15 chapters describing the details. And, and here's where the instructions come in. And there are so many instructions. And we skipped all of those and jumped right to the end of the book. But I wonder if you noticed that the way that the tabernacle is supposed to be set up is very different than you and I would set up a tent. If we were going to set up a tent... We would start with the outside and then put everything inside the tent, right? Isn't that what we do? It's how we build houses. We start with the outside and then we do the inside last. That's not how that tabernacle was set up. Everything started from the inside out and worked its way out. So the first step was to place the Ark of the Covenant at the very center. The Ark of the Covenant went in the very center and everything was built around that. The word translated ark, and we'll show a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, a depiction of it. That's what it looked like. It's not very large, a little less than four feet by three feet. It was overlaid with pure gold on the outside and the inside. There's two cherubim on the top. Their, arms, their wings are outstretched as a sign of protection. It was made of acacia wood. And those two poles on the outside are also made of acacia wood. And they go through those four gold rings and those poles were never removed. Never removed. Nobody could touch the ark, and that's why you needed the poles. There's a narrative later on in the Old Testament where there were four men, priests, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and the ground was uneven, and it lurched, and someone went out to touch it to keep it from sliding off the pole, and they immediately fell down dead. Because this was a very sacred furnishing. It was the most sacred of everything that went in the ark. It was separated from everything else in the tents, in the tent of meeting for a reason. The ark of the covenant housed the ten commandments on the two tablets of stone as well as the jar that held the manna as well as Aaron's staff. It is probably the most sacred ancient relic that has never been found. The word uh, "the word translated ark" simply means a chest or a box, and it was placed in a room that was 15 cubic feet—a perfect square, right? A cube, and that room was uh, separated by a curtain. And every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the most stunning feature of the ark: its lid. On the top of the lid is called the mercy seat. And this is where God said he would meet with Moses. It was like God's personal throne. The two cherubim facing one another were hammered from one piece of gold. The ark was the only piece of furniture in a room that was called the most holy place. So, if we could go to the next slide, this is the tent of meeting. And you can see the ark at the back of the tent of meeting, and that curtain covered the ark. Only one person, one day of the year, was allowed to go back there. Most priests never laid eyes on the ark until it was moved. That room was smaller than many of your living rooms, but with a higher ceiling. And the rest of the tabernacle was then set up, but with boundaries. Boundary after boundary, in fact, everything about the tabernacle screams, do not enter. There was a massive thick curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. That bigger room just outside on the other side of the Ark of the Covenant is called the holy place. Those were the only two rooms in the tent of meeting. In the holy place was the rest of the sacred furniture, all covered in pure gold, all crafted exactly to God's specifications using only the materials that God ordered there you would find the altar for incense the table for the bread and the golden lampstand only the priests could enter the holy place no ordinary israelite could ever enter the tent of meeting only priests the entire tent was only 15 feet wide by 45 feet long could you go to the next slide the outside the holy place was the courtyard The entire courtyard was about the size of two basketball courts, because that's how I think in basketball terms. There you had the altar for sacrifices and a basin for washing. The courtyard was set up with a kind of fence and a series of beautiful thick curtains at the entrance. And you can see a man standing outside of the entrance to the courtyard. Why all these boundaries? Because we don't want people getting too close to God. We don't want people getting too close to God Who haven't been chosen by God to be there. Who haven't been anointed. Who haven't been set apart. Who haven't been consecrated. Who haven't been cleansed. Okay, you get the picture? Who could go into the courtyard? Priests and men. Women were not allowed into the courtyard. And nobody was allowed into the tent except for the priests. But by the end of Exodus, not even the priests were allowed into the one sacred room, the most holy place. And here's where we get into the significance of all these details, okay? The three worship spaces, which were the courtyard, the holy place, and the most holy place, those are the three spaces, represented various levels of distance between God and people. Or if you might think of it as increasing levels of holiness. And one metaphor that we've seen in the Old Testament to describe God's presence is fire. Like this consuming fire, So think of it this way. The closer you get to the most holy place, the hotter it is. And once again, what we saw at the mountain of God is very helpful for understanding the construction of the tabernacle because the ordinary Israelites couldn't even touch the mountain. If they touched the mountain, they would die. And the priests who were set apart could go up the mountain, but not to the top. Only Moses could go to the top and speak with God. So here we are it's like a, it's like a, it's like barriers there are barriers after barrier The tabernacle reminded the people that God is a consuming fire God is not to be trifled with God is not like us God is holy and unique and untouchable nothing else in creation compares with God there are no other gods like this God God can't be seen he can't be touched and yet the tabernacle is also a monument of grace because it reminded the people and it reminds us that God's greatest desire is to be with his people and God is willing to overlook our sins to get closer to us you can see the tabernacle and remember you you maybe you're like the guy on, standing on the outside You've never been, maybe you've never been even in the courtyard. Maybe you're a woman and you're not allowed to go into the courtyard, but you can see the, the fence and you can see the cloud. You can see the smoke from the, from the fire that never went out on the, on the altar. You can see that God is with us. You can be reminded every day because it's at the center of the camp that even though I can't see God or touch God or get near God, he's here, he's with us, he goes before us, he hasn't forgotten us. Even though... We have sinned and failed. God is here. God is near. That's grace. But there is a problem, isn't there? You should feel like there's a problem here. It's it's so, like, exclusive. Why can't anyone just go in? That's what we want as Americans. We want everyone to be able to go anywhere they want, whenever they want. Don't we? The tabernacle, it's too exclusive. But the problem isn't with the tabernacle. The problem is with us. We have failed to keep God's covenant. We have failed to obey God. We failed to do the right thing. We have failed to keep God at the center of our lives, just like Israel. And everything about the tabernacle demonstrates this fact that sin is an offense to the holiness of God. And sin cannot be in God's presence. Every sin is costly. And the worst thing about sin is not that it makes us sad or brings us pain. The worst thing about sin is that it makes God distant. The worst thing about sin is not that it makes you guilty, it's it makes God distant. So really the entire Bible story, the whole thing, the entire meta narrative from Genesis all the way to Revelation is about God getting us back into his presence. That's always been the goal. Because the tabernacle tells us that God is not accessible to sinners. God is not approachable. God is not touchable. God can't hear you and you can't hear him. Your sins have shut you out. So here's the conclusion to the book of Exodus. We're going to read the last few verses of Exodus chapter 40. It's kind of a strange ending. Excuse me for one second. Here we go. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. So the Lord came, just remember Mount Sinai, the Lord came down on the mountain in fire and smoke and the mountain shook. And here the Lord came down on the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle but there's a problem. Nobody can go in. Not even Moses. He can't even go in. So the book ends with like, what? What's going on? Why can't Moses? I mean, I don't get it. Why could Moses go up the mountain, but he can't go into the tabernacle? And we're not even given an answer until we get to the next book, Leviticus, which we'll talk about next week. It's an amazing book, and we're left hanging. If Moses can't go into God's presence, Who can? And that brings us to the big question we've been asking every week as we explore the Old Testament, what does this have to do with Jesus? What does the tabernacle have to do with Jesus? And the New Testament book of Hebrews gives us a lot of insight into this. We'll just read a couple verses here from Hebrews chapter 8. And here the writer of Hebrews is talking about the priests who served in the tabernacle and he says this in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. So what he's saying is the earthly tabernacle was a picture. We've already seen this heaven on earth, but it's also the heaven that's coming. The new Jerusalem. It also points us forward to that. It's a shadow of the real heaven. It's a shadow of the reality. What's the real one? John chapter 1, verse 14. The Apostle John wrote this in the opening to his gospel and story of Jesus. He said, So the word, that's Jesus, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This might not seem obvious when you read these verses, but that Greek word that John used to talk about Jesus when he said that he made his home among us is literally translated tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. So one day the glory of the Lord that came down on the tabernacle came down from heaven in a much more visible and approachable and powerful way. God's glory was no longer housed in a tent or a temple. God's glory was housed in a body, the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus tabernacled among his people. Jesus gave people access to God. Jesus brought the glory of God to ordinary people. And you know what's amazing about Jesus? Jesus would go out of his way to spend time With all the people that were unclean, the people who never set foot inside the temple courtyard, the people who weren't allowed to go anywhere near the temple because they were lawbreakers, they were sinners, they were tax collectors, they were prostitutes, they were thieves, they were murderers, they were suffering from terminal illness, they were crippled. None of those people were allowed anywhere near God's presence in the old system because they were considered to be unclean. And Jesus went to those people, and he became their tabernacle. He became their way to God. He brought God's glory to them. The Jewish leaders wouldn't let them get near God, and Jesus went right right into their presence, and he touched them, and he spoke tenderly to them. He forgave their sins. He showed them who God really is. God really is for people like you. You don't have to be a certain kind of person to get into God's presence. And if we've learned anything from our journey through the book of Exodus... It's that you don't have to read the Gospels to see Jesus. Jesus is all over the book of Exodus. Jesus is the spotless lamb on the day of Passover. Jesus is the way of rescue through the Red Sea. Jesus is the manna in the desert. Jesus is the rock that was struck so that life-giving water came out. Jesus is the embodiment of the law that God gave from the mountain. And Jesus is the true tabernacle. In Romans chapter 5, at the beginning of Romans chapter 5, we read, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. What has Jesus done for us? Jesus died for our sins and he made us clean. Jesus washed us. Jesus anointed us. Jesus covered us in in his righteousness. He did all of that by dying on the cross. Christ crucified is the news we've all been waiting for. It's Christ crucified is the event that brings us together and gives us all access to God. Romans 5.2 says, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. What's that place of undeserved privilege? Well, guess what? It was a privilege to be allowed into the Tent of Meeting. It was a privilege to be able to go into the the holy place. It was an even greater privilege to be able to go into the most holy place, into the throne room of God. Two Two million Israelites wandering through the desert, and a handful had that privilege. But guess what we all have through faith in Jesus if you are trusting in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, you've been united to Jesus Christ by faith, you have the Spirit of the living God inside of you, that means you have been given this undeserved privilege to stand in the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? The, te- the, the tabernacle was necessary. Some, of, some people think, no, this, none of this was even necessary. It was necessary. The temple was necessary. Those beautiful buildings were the center of Jewish identity and spiritual life. And the Temple Mount is still the center of it today. Those were God's designs and blueprints. But we don't need a temple anymore. Do you know why? Because we have Jesus. And Jesus brings us into the most holy place where God is. And here's the truly amazing thing. When Jesus ascended back to heaven and he left his disciples on the earth... He gave them some last words, and we call that the Great Commission. And one of the things Jesus said is that his presence would always be with us. Wherever we go, we are to be talking about Jesus and making disciples and teaching people about Jesus and that he will always be with us. And that means that we are the new dwelling place of God. Did you know that? We are the new dwelling place of God. We are called God's temple. In 1 Corinthians 3 In verse 16, the Apostle Paul wrote, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The Apostle Paul made a profound claim about local churches. He's saying that when we come together, we are God's dwelling place. When the church gathers, we are God's dwelling place. We are where God's glory resides. We are where people can find God and be in his presence. We are where true worship and forgiveness happen. I mean, the buildings, we love our buildings, right? We, we, we invest in our buildings and we want to gather in a comfortable space. are buildings necessary? I mean, in the New Testament, the most powerful worship gatherings happened either in a crowded room or a prison cell. New Testament scholar Peter Enns said this, The church is not a place where programs happen. It's not a place to go and be noticed by others. It's not a place to meet people. It's not even a place where we listen to sermons. It's where heaven and earth meet. Christians come together to experience communi- uh, communally the reality that God dwells with us. So here's what I want to, here's what he's saying. Listen, a lot of people are like, you know what, I don't need the Sunday service, I just need relationships. Just give me some relationships and I can experience authentic Christian community. And I'll be happy. I don't need the- we don't need the corporate gathering. We can do without it. But that's not true. We can't do without it. Some people think that we come to a service, we worship, we sing some songs, we get to talk for a little bit, have some coffee. Nothing really meaningful happens, though. That's not true. When the church comes together and we confess the name of Jesus through song, through words, through preaching, the preaching of God's word, something sacred is happening. God's presence shows up. People experience forgiveness. People experience freedom. People experience acceptance. People experience things they've never experienced before, simply because we gather and turn our attention to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So please don't ever underestimate what happens here on Sunday mornings. So do you want to be closer to God or are you okay with keeping God at a distance? Do you think you're better off just spending some time with God on the weekends when it's convenient? Do you find yourself longing to be with God? Like, what do you dream about? What's your dream for your life? What do you obsess over? Is your dream to build a family and live in a nice house in a quiet neighborhood to be healthy and live a long life, make a name for yourself, have enough for a comfortable retirement, watch some of your favorite teams win a championship, go on some epic vacations? Is that it? Is that why we were created? Is that all you want out of life? Do you see that you were made for more and that we were created by a holy God for a holy purpose to worship God and be with God forever? There's nothing better than that. There's nothing more, there's no greater desire that you could have than that. But some of us do not feel like being with God. Maybe you came into, the, into church this morning and you really didn't feel like being here. Anyone been there? I have. <laughs> okay, I get it. It just doesn't feel right sometimes. We don't feel clean. Some of us have guilt or maybe you have shame in your heart. You don't feel forgiven. You don't feel God's presence. Maybe you barely got here today and then you put on a mask. You don't want anyone to see the real you. Maybe you don't feel worthy. But listen to this from Hebrews chapter 4. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That's an invitation to you and to me. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, if you're a follower of Jesus, come. I, I do, listen, I don't, I don't have any more access to God than any of you. You need to know that. All right, there's nothing special about me you do not have to clean up your act to get closer to God. You just have to believe that Jesus Christ is enough. That Jesus Christ died for your sins. He covered you in his righteousness. He gives you access to the throne room. And that he is alive in you. So, what are you waiting for? Like, what's keeping you at a distance? What lies are you believing about God or about yourself that are keeping you on the outside? God is inviting us today into his presence by faith. Do you need grace? Go in. Do you need mercy? Go in. Do you need freedom? Go in. Do you need healing? Go in. Do you need forgiveness? Go in. Go boldly. Don't be timid. Let's approach the throne of our gracious God. Together. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that through Jesus we can be with you forever. That through Jesus, God, we can hear your voice. We can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. And we can be free. Through faith in Jesus, sin no longer has a hold over us, we are no longer under condemnation. We are your beloved children, God, and we know that you want to be with us. So today, may we approach your throne. May we approach you with boldness. May we approach you in humility. May we approach you by grace. May we admit our flaws. May we confess our sins and receive your forgiveness. God, may we remember how good you are, how loving you are. As we sung before, your love never fails us. God, may we leave here today with renewed confidence in your word and in the gift of your son, Jesus. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Please stand. Next week, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. Which, I don't know if you knew this about Leviticus, but Leviticus is... Almost entirely made up of speeches that God gave to Moses from the tabernacle. So it talks mostly about what happened at the tabernacle. And we're going to focus in on just one main thing. And I'm telling you, if you don't get excited about Leviticus, it's, it's, such a powerful, it's such a powerful book that points us to a very powerful reality that we can all experience today. So come back next week. We're going to cover Leviticus in one week. And I would love for you to bring a friend and uh, get to meet them. And thank you for being with us today. I'd like to leave you this morning with the benediction from Revelation chapter 21. Please bow your heads as we close our service. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying in pain. All these things are gone forever. Aren't we looking forward to that day? Amen. Have a good week, brothers and sisters. We'll see you again soon. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. I hope you were encouraged, and I'd like to personally invite you to attend one of our services here at Cross Point. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. Our people are warm and welcoming. And we're all learning what it means to follow Jesus together. You can learn more about us at CrossPointWestDallas.com, where you'll find more episodes of our podcast and you can watch services on our YouTube channel. We live stream every Sunday morning at 10. Until next time, I'm Pastor Dave and I wish you a blessed day and I hope to be able to meet you soon.